0: Uh, Outline number four, purpose and mission of the church. Um, Good, I've got this one in distinguishing marks pulled up, and I can upload the next one when we get to it. Um, Okay, so purpose and mission of the church. Obviously, there is so much that can be said about this topic, Uh, so I will in no way, shape, or form pretend like this is going to be a comprehensive coverage of it, but... um, Here's how I think we should think as we study ecclesiology, what the church's purpose is and what the mission of the church is. So Ephesians chapter three, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. John twenty twenty one. Jesus said to them again, "Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so am I sending you." And then our Sovereign Grace Book of Church Order says this: A local church consists of any body of baptized believers associated together for the worship of God and for carrying out Christ's commission to his disciple uh, to dis- disciple the nations. The church's worship essentially includes. The preaching of the word, the administration of the sacraments, of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and the maintenance of corporate holiness through discipline. It also includes the singing of songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, and the exercise of the spiritual gifts for mutual edification. That bleeds over a little bit into our next topic on distinguishing marks of the church, but as we're talking about a purpose of the church, um, we have a lot... In there. And then Westminster Catechism, something I'm, I'm sure you guys are familiar with. Uh, the question being, what is the chief end of man? Glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. John Piper says God's deepest purpose for the world is to fill it with reverberations of His glory and the lives of a new humanity, ransomed from every people, tribe, tongue, and nation. Finally, Edmund Clowney is an intro here. Uh, The Lord calls us not because he needs us, but because we need him. Yet we cannot know him without also serving him. The church is called to serve God in three ways. To serve him directly in worship, to serve the saints in nurture, and to serve the world in witness. So as we talk about the purpose and mission of the church, so much can be said about what we're purposed to do. And what we're sent to do. I think Edmund Clowney's definition or uh, a quote there is really helpful in that in what we do, we're serving in uh, serving him directly as we gather together in worship, which is something you guys talked through last week in your class uh, to serve the saints in nurturing and discipling and uh, in ministering the word of God to the one another's and then to serve the world in witness. All right, purpose uh, for the church. John John Frame uh, says this, I don't agree, however, with theologians who say that the task of the church is its nature. When people say that, they usually intend to emphasize the ministries of the church and de-emphasize qualities such as the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Sometimes they put this by saying that the church is service, not status. But scripture teaches that God has given both status and tasks to the church. We saw this when the case, uh, we, uh, we saw that this was the case with the individual Christian. God gives us the status of being his sons and daughters, but he also calls us to serve him, uh, to serve him and to serve one another. Certainly the same is true of the church as a corporate body. We have a status of being God's people. We have a status of being uh, God's uh, bride, God's body. But we also have tasks to do. You can't have one without the other. So one of those tasks, glorifying God. Purpose of this, of of all of this, is that God would receive glory, right? He, He establishes the church. For a purpose of them showing glory to the world and giving glory to their God, not that He would, uh, not that we would make Him more glorious—that that would be impossible—but that His people should live, speak, and think in such a way that He is rightly represented. So He's represented as He truly is. Psalm eighty-six nine says, "All." The nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Isaiah forty three seven. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created, why? And we're talking about purpose. Whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. First Peter two nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies. So, as we're talking about the purpose of the church, as we see these lines of God having a people, calling a people, uh, making a people to come to Him, there's a purpose of proclaiming, worshiping, glorifying Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Philippians 2 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him, Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is of every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So as he is bestowed uh, the name that is above every name and people come to Jesus in repentance and in faith and worship him, they worship to the glory of God. Ephesians 1, 1.6, 112, 1.14, to the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. We just see this echo time and time again, that as God looks at a people, those people are worshipers of the triune God. <clears throat> Ephesians 3.20 and 21. Then we ask or think. I need to remember that so often. According to the work, power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So as we look at the purposes of the church, it cannot be uh, put on the back burner. It cannot be undersold. It cannot be under talked about that the church is there for the purpose of glorifying God and proclaiming His excellencies. So as we look at your local church, as you look at other local churches in the area, uh, as you look at other local church movements and churches across the globe, is the purpose of their gathering highlighting the excellencies and glories of God? If the answer to that question is no, then it should beg a lot of questions as to what they're actually doing. What is their purpose then if it's not first and foremost glorifying the God of the universe and the Savior of our souls? Um, so that would be purpose number one. Purpose number two would be to stand in contrast to the world. So as we uh, are, are, uh, serve in directly worshiping God and glorifying him, Number two, we, we also want to stand in contrast to the world. So Donald Bloch says this in his book, The Church. The church will be a servant of grace. It will be involved in works of mercy and justice. It not only builds up the saints, but it ministers to sinners outside its domain. The true church will be dedicated to both the worship of God and service to the world. It will manifest both adoring love of God, <coughs> excuse me, and serving love to the neighbor in need. The church has a spiritual mission with far-reaching political and cultural implications. Its principal concern is to bring people into a right relationship with God through the power of the word and spirit, but it will also be involved in teaching people to be agents of justice and righteousness uh, is in a basically unjust society. Um, so Hebrews 12, 28, therefore let us be great, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken <clears throat> and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and all. Um, as we talk about standing in contrast to the world, we're obviously showing up, uh, in Donald Bloch's quote in how we bring, think through, uh, try and enact, uh, uh, correct biblical chains, justice, righteousness in societies that are unjust. The way we think, talk, and live justice, righteousness, equity look and sound different than how the world demands justice, righteousness, and equity. Um, because we've received a kingdom that won't be shaken, uh, we're, we're offering with that that militant triumphant theme here continues to play itself out but at, because we've received the kingdom that can't be shaken, we then offer acceptable worship to God in a sense of reverence and awe, standing in trust to the world. That is that is a different demeanor that the church has in both being in this kingdom, but also ex, uh, expressing worship in a, a posture of reverence and, and awe. But Matthew five, this is a this is if someone said, hey, where where is a text of standing, how the church should stand in contrast to the world. I I think this is the first one I go to where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see, a watching world may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Uh, How we do this uh, looks practical, too. Uh, Salt and Light is a 30,000-foot view of what we're called to do in, in bringing uh, different <clears throat> joy, privilege, and uh, um, blessings to the world that's watching. But Galatians 2.20 puts this very practically. Um, only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Um, how we show generosity in this world has a stand out from, uh, from the world. So accordingly, the church is for the world. Uh, we're encouraging our members, the church, to faithfully obey the cultural mandate to build civilization while loving neighbors and making disciples. So we're for the world in that way, and we're against the world in helping helping our members, helping the church be compassionately critical of and justly opposed to All that in this fallen world is tainted by sin and in rebellion against Jesus Christ, head of the world and head of the church. So, as we look at standing standing in contrast to the world, we want to do that by both speaking out against things that the world celebrates that it should not. How many things can we think of? Movies that are celebrated and touted as amazing. Um, that stand in direct opposition to, uh, to what we see of, of holiness and godliness in Scripture. We stand against those things, and that makes us stand in contrast to the world. Uh, but also in what we do for the world and how we engage in working hard. I'll, I'll get to this in a second with fulfilling the cultural mandate. But as Christians, we're called uh, to, to uh, lean into a lost world and to bring light to it and salt to it. Um, if, if we're just spreading that salt around to the members of Christ's body, the church, and not to the world outside of us, then what good are we then to be thrown out and trampled on by men? Uh, so we're bringing a distinctiveness in how we love the world as well. So we're against the world, we're for the world, and in both of those ways, wisely discerning when we're uh, fall to each one is how we stand in contrast to the world. Um, Wayne Grudem says this, when people from diverse racial and ethnic backgrounds are able to love one another and work together in the church, this is remarkably different from the tendency throughout history for people of different backgrounds to live in animosity and sometimes even war against one another. But God brings it about because in Christ, he has broken down in the flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. Angels see this and rejoice while demons witness it and are infuriated. So the way we work both for the good of the world and against the temptations and sins of this world makes us stand out in contrast from the world. Um, finally, in the purpose, one of the things that the church, one of the ways that the church fulfills a purpose for God's people is fulfilling the cultural mandate. So in Genesis 1:28, when God tells Adam uh, and Eve, God bless them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. I think the church needs to recognize it in that there's a number of things that we're doing. We're, we're looking to join ourselves to godly wives Um, and raise, Lord willing, uh, children in the fear and discipline of the Lord. Be fruitful and multiply. So we're filling the earth, but then also on the other end of that, we're looking to subdue it and have dominion over it. And so what that looks like in pastoral ministry is working hard. What that looks like for me, uh, selling insurance and leading a team that does that, it means working hard. Uh, It means loving my family really well And doing that in the context, both in my family, but also as we connect ourselves with our local church as a community of faith. Um, But as we look to be distinctly Christian as the people of God in the New Testament age, that also looks like Christians having a purpose in the world of, of letting them work in a way that bears fruit and looks to subdue and have dominion over uh, the created world. So uh, accordingly, the cultural mandate consists of both procreation and vocation. John Frame says it this way, if human beings are to fulfill the cultural mandates, their hearts must be subdued to God before the earth can be subdued to them. That's what the Great Commission does. It brings about a transformation of people so they can go and fill the earth, subduing it to the glory of God. So as we have people, particularly uh, maybe young brothers who, um, who work a job and want to do pastoral ministry, and they can be so discontent in the job that the Lord has for them right now because they feel, quote-unquote, called to something uh, different, part of what we're looking to do in fulfilling, uh, living in the purpose of fulfilling the cultural mandate in the church is to say God has called us, to stand in contrast to the world by our work ethic. Um, and I've seen this, just a personal example, I've seen this countless times uh, in in the States. Uh, people in our church who have a, quote-unquote, just very normal job, whether it's insurance or, um, or accounting or finance. I mean, just, I mean, you think of any example. Uh, IT, uh, engineering, and they... Uh, They have received recognition and upward mobility in their jobs because they work hard. Um, I I personally feel that God has has given a lot of favor to the work of my hands at the insurance company I work at. Why? Because I I feel like I show up to my job in a distinctly Christian way that shows honor to others and looks to serve and and bless them as uh, God would have me be in being for the world. Uh, But also just working hard, uh, like God has called us to do in Genesis 1. Just asking a nice, easy uh, question after lunch. How does the church relate to the government? Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, wisely. Um, So I I don't think that a church would be wise to be totally insulated from uh, what's happening in their government. And to try and speak towards advocate for um, the government to fulfill um, you know what God calls them to to bear the sword uh, in a ways that show uh, what we know as being created in the image of God of righteousness and justice in a way that's not in a Christian way but in a way that really does uphold uh, law and order and peace and punishment for uh, for crimes and and offenses to, to laws um, so what I think that should look like so in the states I think what that looks like is the church uh, advocating for uh, voting for um, and and when necessary and as appropriate talking to political leaders about issues like abortion um, so if there's a, a government law that's going to be in place that widely expands the murder of unborn children, it's the church's role and job to come and speak against that and and advocate that the state not let that happen, the state of any kind, the government, uh, your your country, your state, your local, whatever. Um, And so if the church is totally insulated, then... uh, then who, who else is really going to speak out and against atrocities like that? Um, so in, in one sense, we want to be involved in church government um, and speak out against it and for it when, when necessary, too. There's a lot of things that are, are good that the government does. So a lot of laws, regulations, things put in place that do uh, hopefully limit um, evil. So we want to celebrate those things, speak out against things that would be uh, a violation. Um, And at the same time, uh, there are, I think, a lot of churches that put so much investment and commitment into their involvement in politics that one might question whether their primary uh, passion, whether their primary hope is Christ and the fulfillment of his promises in scripture or whether their primary hope is a political party or a political leader. Um, so we don't want to be so insulated that we don't know what's happening in government and don't speak out as appropriate on, on when we need to. And yet at the same time, we don't want to go so wide in uh, or, or so deep into the political landscape that, uh, that our, our allegiance, hope, Uh, really looks to be somewhere other than Christ and his church and, uh, yeah, the mission of the gospel through the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? All right, Uh, mission of the church. So as we talked about the purpose um, of the church, now what are we sent to do? John Frame says this. So the, the church is a dynamic body in action. It is through the church that God's kingdom comes to all the ends of the earth. The church is not the church unless it is in action. That is, in other words, unless it is in mission. So we're an active missional church. So what does it look like to fulfill the mission of the church? Obvious starting point here is the great... So, excuse me. Um, And Jesus said to them, to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the local church in that commission is God's chosen means for carrying out His purposes to receive glory, as we've already talked about, through a people gathered to Himself until He returns. He he has ordained no other organization or structure for this purpose. The mission of the church, the mission of God through the Great Commission is to be carried out through the church, through the people of God. So Christopher Wright says this, Jesus' earthly ministry was launched by a movement that aimed at the restoration of Israel, but he himself launched a movement that aimed at the ingathering of the nations, to the new messianic people of God. The initial impetus for his ministry was to call Israel back to their God, but the subsequent impact of his ministry was a new community that called the nations to faith in the God of Israel. John Frame says this about the Great Commission and what we're most, the task of the church then is to carry, out the Great Commission. When it is done, it will be enabling people to carry out the cultural mandate, which we've already talked about. But the Great Commission must be the focus of everything the church does. Indeed, it must be the focus of the life of every believer. All that we do must be done so that the world may be filled with believers and that those believers may be subdued to obey all of God's commands. Um, so great commission, uh, let me, let me go through a couple of other ones and I'll pause for your questions. Um, so in terms of, as we're being missionalized, uh, as we're on mission, the great commission of going and making disciples of all nations, uh, and then part of that is obviously discipleship. So as we're going and making disciples, we're bringing them into teaching growth and discipleship within uh, a body. And so Acts two forty two, another verse that we're going to see quite a bit. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings uh, and the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. D.A. Carson says, ideally the church itself is not made up of natural friends. It is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common polit- politics, common ancestry, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Uh, We invest in one another who otherwise wouldn't have naturally been together uh, to spur one another on towards godliness for the sake of Christ. And finally, one of our missions is evangelism. So as we're fulfilling the mission of going and making disciples, that looks like the verbiage of Acts 3 here. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come upon, uh, may come from the presence of the Lord, that He may send the Christ, uh, that and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things. Um, we're supposed to look at a lost and dying world and say, repent. And turn from your sins as so they can be blotted out. Acts 26, Paul given a ministry to the Gentiles to do what? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And they may receive, in doing that, this is what we're proclaiming in our evangelism, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and a place among those who are sanctified by God. Listen, guys, we're sharing our testimony to the class this is the story of every single person that had didn't have to see you were blind and god opened your eyes to turn from dark light and from the power of satan to god for forgiveness of your sins that that looks and feels and sounds like something in our mission and so our mission can't just be to make people feel good to make god seem attractive our mission is to proclaim that we're sinners who are hostile to God and that through God's grace there can be forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified. So the church has a mission not only to itself but to the world. This mission and a wide variety of mercy ministries to those in need, including the poor, the sick, the impoverished, the imprisoned. Um 1 Corinthians nine twenty two and 23, <coughs> Paul talking about how, how he shows up to win people. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Edmund Clowney says this Jesus came to gather, to call gatherers, disciples who would gather with him. So Christopher Wright, in, in speaking of the mission of the church, says a cross centered theology of mission is this. We want to be, in sovereign grace, we cross movement. Um, so a cross centered theology of mission. The cross is. The unavoidable center of our mission, not social justice, not uh, peace and prosperity, not healing, the center of our mission is the cross. It's unavoidable. All Christian mission flows from the cross as its source, its power, and is that which defines its scope. It is vital that we see the cross as central and integral to every aspect of of holistic biblical mission that is of all that we do in the name of the crucified and risen jesus so bluntly we need a holistic gospel because the world is in a holistic mess um and by god's incredible grace we have a gospel big enough to redeem all that sin and all that evil has touched and every dimension of that good news is good news Utterly and only because of the blood of Christ on the cross. So our mission lives and breathes, rests upon, is centered in the cross of Christ and what he's done. Um, uh, power of the church. So I, I, I didn't feel like it was appropriate to talk about uh, the and the mission of the church and leave out what is the fuel behind um, how we're doing this. So the power of the church doesn't rest ultimately in our abilities, our gifts, our polity, uh, our plans. It rests in the promises of God and the work of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Um, the Spirit is God's enabling uh, and empowering presence for witness and edification. Acts uh, 1.8, the, yeah, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Romans 12, having gifts that, ought, that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, um, all of these things are talking about the gifts that the Spirit gives in our mission and purpose for the church. First Corinthians 12, another well-known text, and I'm not gonna read, about how the Spirit gives for the common good. So as we're looking to fulfill our purpose of glorifying God, standing in contrast to the world, uh, discipling others, as we're moved in our mission to to make disciples and to win the lost, uh, the Spirit is a power that drives uh, all of those efforts. And Charles Spurgeon says this, I believe that one reason why the church of God at the present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. Let that not be true of our church. The other power that we receive in being able to to faithfully and in trust and in faith uh, walk out the purpose and the mission of the church, and we're going to talk about these uh, in greater detail through the rest of the week, but uh, the different means of grace. So Acts two forty two again, you know, as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and of prayers, mm-hmm. believers were added to the church. So as we're looking to glorify God and be on mission, there there are means that we lean into to do consistently that add that that empower that growth, that mission, that purpose. Wayne Grudem says the means of grace are any activities within the fellowship of the church that God uses to give more grace to Christians. John Frame says it this way. We all know what grace is, God's unmerited favor. Indeed, his unmerited favor where we deserve wrath. Without God's grace, we are lost. Yet we need, need God's grace not only at the beginning of the Christian life, but throughout So naturally we ask, where can we go to find God's continuing grace to us? Where do we go to get the resources for sanctification, for continuing continuing spiritual growth? The short answer is, is there are three places. The word, fellowship, and prayer. Uh, We want to see where God has sovereignly ordained for the church to come together to receive grace, motivation, uh, for the purpose and mission of the church.